Today on the Forest City Church Podcast, teaching pastor Chad Brugman's message is titled, Buffalo Soldiers. I feel God's heart today for you guys. That always gives me a lot of confidence when I come up here. Every now and then I just, I can like see and feel the Father's heart for you guys. And he just loves you. I know that's so cliche and we hear it all the time, but he is just madly in love with you guys. There's something about God that might be my favorite thing about him. In, in Galatians chapter 5, 1, it says it all for me. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that was under attack by some false prophets. And so he's doing some correction. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, he simply writes this. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. I love that statement because there is no ulterior motive. You ever have friends or acquaintances in your life that, that say some really nice things and might even do some really nice things for you, but you know there's always something behind it that's in it for them more than for you? Like, you ever do that? And it starts to break trust in the relationship. It starts to, to, to make you start to question their motives. That There is no ulterior motive from God to us then he just absolutely wants and is committed to the point of sending Jesus to the cross. He is committed to your freedom. As much as you might need freedom in any, think about where you might most need freedom in any particular area right now and how it can be consuming and how it can consume your thoughts and it can consume your days. And can I tell you this? God is more consumed right now than you are with your freedom. And he has it for you. And it's possible. You cannot quit believing that. The apostle Peter in his old age, he wrote this in 2 Peter. He said, you have been given everything you need for life and for godliness. And so Paul, apostle Paul goes on to say a, a phrase he loves to use in his writings. He says, stand firm then. This side of heaven, life is just this constant state of re-upping on standing firm. Can I get an Amen. It's just getting out of bed another day and going, I am going to stand firm in the goodness and in the promises of God again today, or this day will absolutely whoop me, right? Because we don't know what a day may bring. He says, stand firm then, and then he says something also very powerful. Do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to go into the context of why he was saying this to this group, but everyone in here if we are not careful, we'll be and live a life that is enslaved to something, an addiction, a, a sin pattern, being in a constant state of, of, of lack and never having enough and just barely making it by. There's something in here for all of us where we are bound if we are not standing firm to being enslaved by something. And I wrote in my notes here, not many things, please hear this, not many things, if anything, will cause a person to be burdened again by the yoke of any type of slavery more than what we talk about this morning. And it's this, it's hell's greatest currency. It's this word fear. I know fear is a popular thing to talk about and preach about in the church. And let me tell you why. Because it is hell's greatest currency. Nothing will bring slavery of any kind into your life more than when you are bound and being driven by fear. Fear is this for a city. Fear is the great slave driver of the human soul. Period. The enemy is our oppressor. He hates you, Jesus said in John 10. He wants to kill you ultimately, but in the meantime, until that happens, he wants to steal from you and he is a liar. The Bible says, John put it this way, he is the chief liar. When he's lying, he is speaking his native language. Fear is the greatest 
slave driver and oppressor of the human soul. So I did this. I read this article several years ago. And I didn't even know how I came up. I was probably online, whatever. And I, I came across this article about uh, an animal that is now incredibly special to me. I have this animal. I have pictures of this animal all over my office as a constant reminder. I have statues in my house of this animal. I have T-shirts with the picture of this animal. I have a really cool hat with this animal on it. And it's a special animal to me because I, I lived in Denver for 18 years. And in Colorado, this is our animal. This is our state animal, and it's the buffalo. The buffalo, like many other animals, is a herding animal, right? And, and so it's like in the same category with cows and with elk and with deer and with sheep and with some of the goats. Like, like, but, man, the, the, if you've, you, we've all seen buffaloes. They're just bad. Like God had coffee the day he made buffaloes, right? Sheep, I'm not so sure. But, but buffaloes, and it's, it's incredible. And, and in Colorado, especially in Denver, we live in an interesting spot because on the east side, you're going into the western plain, you're going into, the, excuse me, the eastern plains of Colorado and into Kansas, right? God did not have coffee the day he spoke Kansas and the eastern plains of Colorado. But then you get to Denver, and it's the starting point for the western side, the western slopes where all the big 14,000 biggest mountains in all of America are right there starting in Denver. And it's just like, it's just beautiful. And so there's this interesting mix of all of these herd animals, including the buffalo. But what I learned in this article several years ago, and it's literally been my accountability partner for about the last five years, is that the buffalo in one particular way is distinct from all of their other counterparts. And it has to do with when storms come. When storms come, animals, most animals all have the ability to smell them, right? We know this. Dogs, all of like they know when storms are coming. Dogs and old people with bad knees, I've been told, are who knows when storms are. You just feel it. They sense it. And when storms come, here's the basic natural instinct of the cows, the sheep, the goats, even the elk. Here's what happens. They see a storm coming, let's say, uh, from the east, and they just turn. If they were heading east, they just turn. Sorry, that's, I, I'm not good at impressions, but you guys get the point, right? They smell the storm coming, they see it, and they start heading in the opposite direction they were originally going. It's just their instinct. They just, they just naturally do it, right? As naturally as they breathe. But then their little buddy, the buffalo, we've learned, and we now know scientifically, they have this rare, unique instinct where when that storm comes, none of this. Here's, here's what the buffalo does. It looks at the storm, it faces it, and it's... Again, horrible impressions, but I'm giving you my best up here, right? There's something in, in the buffalo that causes them to charge the storm. Now, here's what's interesting. The buffalo, by the time it runs past the storm, will be just as tired as everyone who ran away from it. The buffalo will be just as wet and rained on, snowed on, whatever it is, as the animals that ran away from it. The only difference between them and them is the buffalo gained ground while they lost ground. It's not any easier of a run. In some ways, it's probably a more difficult run for the buffalo to run right into the heat of the storm than for the other animals to run away and avoid it. 
And there is so much in this little bit of how God made these animals and the distinction between them that we can learn about us. Because I don't know about you, but my most basic instinct is more like a sheep than a buffalo. In fact, I've even heard us referred to as sheep before, even from our creator. My most basic instinct when storms of life are coming, and can can, can I give you some bad news and give you some good news in, in, in 30 seconds? Here's the bad news. None of us are faster than storms. You're not faster than storms. You ready for the good news? You're stronger than storms, right? I think it was the apostle John again in his old age, pretty smart at this point. He says, greater is he that is in me than he or any storm in life that comes my way. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You are not faster. You cannot outrun trouble in this life. And I know that sounds, well, well, come on, let's be a little more hope-filled. No, these are the words of Jesus. I'm grateful he tells us the truth. He says what? John 16, 33, right? In this world, you'll have what? Trouble, storms, comma, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This is him saying, like, like, listen, storms are inevitable. Quit trying to outrun them because you can't. There's too much going on in this chaotic, sin-stained, fallen, broken world for you to try to outrun storms. But listen to me. You can look at them in the face. You can confront what's happening in your life. And you can move forward because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The same spirit for a city that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. And I don't know about you, but I am on a mission because this is not a natural posture or or mindset for me to charge things in life. I like to avoid things. I'm always thinking about running in the opposite direction of life's confrontations. Are you not? But this is the voice, not of God. This is the voice of the enemy. Fear says avoid. Fear says bury your head, head in the sand. Fear says numb the storm away. It's one of the ways we run, just numb it away. Get that, get that second drink after work tonight. Get that third drink tonight after work so that you can have a decent night's sleep, so you think. Run to that shopping spree to try and outrun all of the other junk in your life. All the things we do, eat your way out of it. I'm preaching to myself now, emotional leader right here, right? And I can just go spend your way out of it. Vacation your way out of it. Just don't look at it. But here's the deal. The storm will catch you at some point and you will have lost ground that God so desperately says, no, you have the power to stand firm and not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I love what Ralph Waldo Emerson says. He says this, in skating on thin ice, your safety is in your what? Your speed. Again, it's counterintuitive, right? If I I was on ice and someone told me it's about to break, I would literally, here's, here's my instinct, and it makes so much sense to me. I'd be like, oh, dear Jesus, oh, sweet Jesus, please don't break. Please don't. And I'd be trying to make myself as light as possible, and I'd tiptoe, and I'd walk as slow as possible, right? Doesn't that make sense? There's something in you. You see it. You're in trouble, and it free, it's like, I don't want to die today, and I don't want to die by freezing cold water, and I don't want to drown. It's a bad day for that, right? But, but, but ironically, your safest bet is to sprint, off that ice. Because each step with speed, each step with moving faster and moving forward actually puts less pressure on the ice. You got a way better chance. 
when skating, as Walt put it so beautifully, on thin ice, your safety is in your speed. And so I want to do this. I want to go to the classic passage on fear. I'm a pastor, so I always want to have some like obscure text where I impress you and you go, I never read that or I never heard that before. I don't got that for you. I just have a cliched passage of scripture on fear and it's cliched because it is so profoundly right. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to Joshua chapter one. Well, you're turning there. If you don't have it, you guys know how this works. It'll come up on the big screens, the screen Bibles. Can I just tell you some really, really good news? Because some of you are right now bound by fear. And that's okay. You're called human. You are welcome here. You are loved here. We are for you. All of us in this room, if we're not in that same place right now, we will be at some point. And, And can I just give you some really good news? And I pray to God you have the faith to believe it because it's true. I don't only believe this through scriptures. I believe this because I've experienced it. Here's the good news. When fear gets the loudest, freedom is the closest. I promise you that. I'm going to say it one more time. If not for everyone else, for you. When fear gets the loudest, it means freedom is closest. If, if, if you have an adversary and they have any brains at all, and as much as I hate even bringing up the devil... Let's talk about him for a minute because the word of God talks about him for a minute. For all the things he is that's wrong, here's one thing he's not, stupid. And sometimes when he gets loudest and becomes the biggest bully in your life, it's because breakthrough is right on the precipice. You understand that? And this is why he loves to get us scared is because he knows if you're on the precipice of a breakthrough, he wants a storm. He wants to leverage a storm or a difficulty in your life to get you to do what those sheep and those goats and those cows do. Run in the opposite direction. Avoid. Numb. Bury your head in the sand. Do all the things we we, we talked about earlier, right? And, And if we can be people who recognize this rhythm, recognize this pattern. Okay, I have this unusual amount of fear over this situation for my family right now or for my finances right now. Or for this particular situation that's going on relationally, right? I just, and, it's, and it seems to be gripping me. Can I tell you that it almost always means you are on the verge of a breakthrough. God is about ready to do something beautiful and miraculous. And the enemy does not want that for you. Because you're gonna, you're, if, if, you, if you receive that, you're going to dig deeper into the goodness of God. And, and the more and more you taste and see that the Lord is good, it's game over for him. Because your faith starts to grow. And so he wants to, to, to put us in that position. So in Joshua chapter one, Joshua is like what I call in our modern terms, he's like one of the Bible's great first responders. We have any first responders in the room or spouses or family members of first responders? Would you raise your hand? Policemen, firemen, EMTs, everyone else, keep them up, keep them up. Do we not have any first responder families in this room? Okay, we got some back here. Okay, I, I need better glasses. These are for reading up close. I see a bunch of you. Can we just give them a hand real quick? <laughs> Grateful for you guys. Here's why. You signed up to do a job to run into places and scenarios that people are naturally running away from. That's a bit of the buffalo spirit, is it not? And God is gonna use Joshua at the tail end of their desert experience to bring them to their place of miracle, to bring them to their place of freedom 
into Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's for freedom that Christ wants us free, right? It was the same thing for for the people in the Old Testament. God just wanted them free, but it wasn't gonna go uncontested. Can I say that again, please? Your freedom in any particular area that you you need right now, it will not go uncontested. And so God looks at Joshua and he gives them all kinds of unreal promises, right? And Joshua had served as a mentee under Moses. He was his protege. So he had seen the miracles of God. He had seen the power of God. He had seen the goodness of God in the land of living. Like like Joshua had a huge God file of the goodness and miracle working power of God. You would think Joshua wouldn't need any coaching going in to take Canaan. You would think Joshua and God wouldn't even need to have a conversation. He'd be like, just go get it, it's yours. And, and, and Joshua would be like, done deal, because I already know that you're a God who does not lie. You proved that to us in the wilderness. I already know that when you say something, it shall come to pass. And so here's where we pick up in Joshua chapter nine, verse one, and I'm gonna read nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. Now, you ready for a promise from God? He says to Joshua, Joshua, I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, if I'm Joshua, I start to get a little bit of holy swagger here, maybe some unholy swagger. I start to get a little bit cocky maybe. Because Joshua's known from his time with Moses, when God promises something, it's going to happen. And God just told Joshua, every place you set your foot is yours. If I was Joshua, I'd be like, sweet, we're not even going to bring weapons. We're not going to bring anything. We're just going to walk in and say, it's ours. God promised it, right? You think it would be that simple. You think it would be that easy. God's promises to believe him, to trust him, right? He says, God says, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. Here's another promise from God. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. I will never, another promise, you ready for it? I will never leave you or forsake you. Now let me stop there and let me ask us this question. Why would God need to even say that to Joshua unless God knew maybe what Joshua fully didn't, which was there's gonna be moments when you're, when you're going after your freedom. There's gonna be moments where it looks like God's left the building. You ever felt that? Some of us in here right now, if you're just being, and you can be, God, God loves you. There's nothing to hide from God, nothing to hide. He already knows. Some of you came in here today and you feel like that's my story right now. And I I would never say that out loud because I don't want to be disrespectful to the God that I love and serve, but it feels like he's left the building. Feels like our prayers are falling on deaf ears. It feels like our prayers are hitting the ceilings and bouncing right back down at us and mocking us. It feels like God just doesn't care, isn't concerned anymore, but, but I'm a good Christian. So I know that can't be true. And I hear what the pastors say, all that hope stuff. So I'm just going to keep believing. And there's this constant turmoil. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, which means Joshua, there's going to be moments when you are going after the freedom that I have procured for you and desire for you where it's gonna look like I've left the building. And this is when by faith, you cannot let the voice of the enemy win. You stand firm then. Because the other option is what? Back to Egypt. 
And Paul said what? Stand firm and don't be bound again by the yokes of slavery. So there's going to be times, no matter how many promises God gives you, no matter how amazing they are, you're going to be confronted with an enemy. And the enemy is not happy about the promises of God coming to fruition in your life. You understand that? He will contest it. These these people in Canaan weren't going to just go, oh, you're God, this God we don't even know, this God of Israel that you call Yahweh. He said you could have our land that's fortified and we've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, that's not happening. They're getting out the weapons. They're getting out the infantry. They're getting out the army, right? And they're going to contest it. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And then God says the same language again. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So God gives them another promise or or command. Be strong and courageous. This is how important this is to your freedom and my freedom. God, the very next sentence, feels the need to repeat it. Good teachers in classrooms always use the power of what? Repetition, right? You got to have repetition to get some. So God says, no, Joshua, I don't think you understand how much your freedom is going to be contested by the enemy. So I'm going to tell you this again as your father who loves you. Be strong. And now he adds the word very, very courageous. And then here's what's, what's interesting. He's, he says, not only be strong and very courageous, you know what he says next? Be careful. And we'll talk about this for a minute. Courage and careful go hand in hand. And I didn't grow up believing that. I thought courage was the kid in high school. We all had this kid that just was like, I'll jump. I'll do it. Like I was at a party once, right? And the, the parents were gone. We shouldn't have been doing this. Uh, hopefully the kids are all over at youth being taught not to do this. But I went to a party and, and, and we were doing stuff we shouldn't have been doing. And they had a pool and it was the summertime. And kids being dumb kids and, 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 and people were daring each other to jump off, not the diving board, but off the roof into the pool, right? Which is just bad news waiting to happen. And there's always, none of us want to do it but there's girls there. And so your unformed brain as a kid boy goes like, I should probably do this because I like Sally and Sally would really think this is cool if I did it. But I'm also like, but I guarantee I'm probably breaking my neck. So what do I do here, right? But there's always the kid who never flinched. He's like, I'll do it. And back then I'm like, that's courage. The guy that always does what you don't have the guts to do. And now that I get older, I'm like, that's just stupidity. (laughs) Right? Courageous. In the kingdom of God, courage and careful are like husband and wife. They go hand in hand. Let me, let me show you why. He goes on to tell us why. He says, be careful, Joshua, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Listen to this, church. Meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Why? God's heart for you. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Do you want to know the main reason first responders are so courageous? I I think of images at 9-11. We're about to have another unfortunate anniversary of of 9-11 in a few weeks, right? And I will never, like many of you who are alive to see it, I will never forget those images that came out the first week of 9-11 of first responders just covered in, in ashes and smokes, firemen with their, with their hoses around their shoulders, and they're running into buildings that everybody's trying to get out of. 
Those pictures will never leave me for a multitude of reasons. I'll I'll never forget the the brave officers and firemen and the EMT and all of the doctors and emergency room, everyone that just came together from all over the nation to go and run into disaster instead of run away from it to help people, right? To try and regain freedom for people who had just lost a whole lot. It's a powerful image to me. Do you know where the majority of their, it's most first responders aren't any different than us. They don't get into it because they were graded and have some unique uh, amount of courage that the average human doesn't do. Do you know what mostly gives them courage to be calm when everyone else is being crazy? Protocol. Training. Do you know before they ever go into scenarios, firemen, police officers, EMT, they've been trained. They've taken classes. They've studied hours and hours and hours. They've memorized different handbooks. They've practically trained for scenarios in their training schools and processes long before they ever happen in controlled, safe environments. They go over scenario after scenario. Here's what we do when there's a bank robbery. Here's what we do when there's a kidnapping. Here's what we do when there's an active shooter. Here's what we do when the house is on fire. Here's what we do when we think it might explode. The team. Here's what we're going to do if we have to uh, get a bomb threat or defuse a bomb. They spend endless amounts of time not seeing what we see on the news when they go and help someone. They spend endless amounts of time behind closed doors going over systems and protocol. That is not sexy and fun. That's not why anyone got into the job, right? But that is precisely what allows them to keep the calm they are commissioned to keep when everybody else is going crazy I've had some emergency room experiences where the EMT have been on the scene where I've been, and I promise you this, they were way calmer than I was. And yet they had the harder job. Why were they calm? Protocol. They weren't just going in and going, oh, we're, we're courageous enough to help them. No, they're going in and going, we know exactly what we have to do in this situation. We have been trained over and over and over and over. And listen, this is what God says to Joshua. If you want fear to lose faith to win, and freedom to be the gift that faith gives you on the other side of Canaan, you have to be careful to meditate on God's law day in and night. Be careful not to turn from the left of it or turn to the right of it. Do everything to the best of your ability that is written in that law. Why? Because that word of God is for you, not against you. It's your holy divine protocol for the craziness and chaos of this fallen world. We don't read the Bible to make God impressed or happy with us. He's not some grumpy school teacher in the sky who wants to see if you've completed your assignment or not the next day. He's literally saying, I wrote this, this divinely inspired book of history and prophecy and promises This book that is infused, you can't see it, but when you start reading it, you can feel it. It is infused with faith. In fact, the writer of Acts would would put it this way in Acts chapter 10. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing comes from what? Hearing comes from the word of God. 1 Timothy 1.7, I believe, says, no, 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 this is 2 Timothy 3.16. I got them backwards. Don't put that one up yet. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed, and ready for this, useful for teaching, correcting, and here it is, first responders, training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says, you want to be courageous? You got to be careful. 
you got to take the word of God serious. You got to practice the word of God. You got to go over divine protocol every day. And this is not, again, to check in with God or impress God or to look good in your Bible study or to impress people with how much you read the Bible. God could care less about any of those statistics. What God said was, I've divinely given you, until I return again, I've given you this gift, this spirit-infused, spirit-written, spirit-driven book that is full of my promises. It's full of the problems of this world, and then it is full of promises to where you are an overcomer in this world, but you have to be ready for storms. Storms are way easier to charge like a buffalo when you are full in your heart of protocol. It is way easier to stay less anxious and less worried through really difficult times. Still doesn't mean it's easy, but there's this divine calm that your soul is gifted with And divine trust, where you trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own ways, your own understanding through this situation, but in all your ways, just keep acknowledging him, right? And he'll he'll, he'll direct the path, always towards freedom. This is is what he says. It's it's about protocol. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God, for a city, has not given us a spirit of fear. Anytime you feel fear, you don't have to feel guilty or bad about this because we all still feel fear, but just know this, it's never the voice of God. Fear is never the voice or the spirit of God. This should fire you up because we all have fear to deal with. You're gonna be wrestling with it the rest of your life. God has not given us a spirit of fear and, and timidity, but what? Power, love, and self-discipline, a sound mind. He's given us everything we need. And I just want to talk for a second about that one in the middle because I think it's fundamental to all of this fear stuff. Love. God's given you a spirit to, to understand more and more and more just how loved you are by him. This is why I get up here and talk about his love for you all the time. Is because love is the great antidote to fear. Faith is just a middleman that gets you moving in the right direction. Love is the antidote. You understand that? Don't take my word for it. The Apostle John in 1 John says this. Perfect love does what? Casts out all fear. Do you still have fear in your life? Let me ask you that question. Does perfect love cast all of it out? Does that make you feel a little weird then? Because you're like, well, I still have fear, but, but perfect love casts it all. Do we agree that the only, the only current form of perfected love in this world is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified? He is what perfect love is, right? The good news about this, this should encourage you, I hope, not defeat you, is if you still feel fear, and we all do, come on, we still have more of a revelation of how much God loves us to go. We're still freshmen, y'all, and it's okay. That that excites me because I have a huge, I feel like I have a really liberal, big understanding as I grow older in Christ of the love of God that I have right now. I feel just more and more every year for all I don't know about the mysteries of God, one thing that gets more and more certain in my heart is, man, God loves people more than we think, more than we give him credit for. We box him up so much when it comes to how much he loves this world, Right? But I still fear, and that just gets me excited because when I'm feeling fear, you know what that means? There's still a bigger degree of the revelation of God's love I haven't got yet. Give me more, God. 
Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. And I say this to you guys a lot. I'm going to say it again. Isaiah told us this about Jesus. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. It's not a punisher. Fear comes because of punishment. We think we're going to get punished. We're worried about the outcomes. We're worried about the things. Not worried about the one who has your best interest in mind. Who is holding you in this universe in the palm of his hand. The one who fears, like I just said a minute ago, is not made perfect yet in love. This is a beautiful process. And I just want to encourage any of you who walked in here and you're in a really scary, difficult precarious situation and fear seems to be the anthem of your day or your week or your month or even your year. This is just God's invitation to going, oh, if you just knew more and more how much I love you. Something in you would, the the spirit of the buffalo would rise up on the inside of you. This is why Paul in Ephesians, when he's writing his letter, he stops dead in the middle. It's like, I don't know what was going on in that prison cell when he was writing it, but something compelled him to stop in the middle of a letter and he just prays. And you know what his prayer is? He's so compelled. He's writing about the gospel in chapters one and two. By the time he gets to what we now call chapter three, he just goes, for this reason, I gotta get on my knees in this jail cell and I gotta pray that you together with all of the other saints globally would have the ability, the revelation to grasp how high and how deep and how wide is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul knew, man, if you do not have a good, strong understanding about how loved you are by God, fear's gonna win every time. And what a shame that would be. This is why the Bible's our protocol. It's why we meditate on day and night. It is a, not to be cheesy here, but it's true, it is a divinely scripted, perfected love letter from God to you before we meet him face to face. It's like a soldier off to war writing his, his new wife. Just this beautiful love letter of, hey, You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm coming back. I miss you. I love you. Stay strong. That's what it is. So to get fired up for this message, I've been playing a Bob Marley song all week. Anything Buffalo. I love anything Buffalo. And he wrote this famous song called Buffalo Soldiers. You guys, you guys familiar with it? Most of you in here, some of you younger people might not be, but it's just, you know, Buffalo Soldiers. Coming to America, fighting on arrival, fighting for survival. Oh, 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 oh. Some of you are so bothered right now. You're like, please, Chad, not your lane. It is not my lane, but I don't apologize because I love, I just sing it, you know, like, and, and, and here's what's cool about that song though. Most of you probably, some of you might know, but most of you probably don't know. And this, this is awesome. And I, I end with this. I promise you guys are like, we've been here before. You're not ending. I'm ending. I really am. I promise. I promise. He wrote this song in honor of a particular army regiment from 1866 out of Leavenworth, Kansas. And it was a group of African-American soldiers that got the name that would eventually become officially in the United States, the name of that regiment that still carries on today, never to be forgotten. But it was a group of African-American soldiers that chose in a particular battle to go on the front lines. And you go, well, why Buffalo soldiers? Well, this came from the Native Americans. In the the Civil War, there was over 200,000 African-American soldiers. 
And the Native Americans were unbiased onlookers in this war because they're sitting there going, well, you guys came here, you took all of our land and now you can't get along with each other and now you're trying to kill each other. Great, go for it, right? So they're just looking on. One of the observations the Native Americans made during the Civil War with these 200,000 African-American soldiers was, was this. Two things. One, they saw their Afros and that was new for them, for the Native Americans. And they said, and their most, their most precious animal in America was the buffalo. For all the animals that they stewarded, there was something special in the Native American tribes about the buffalo. And they said, those Afros look like our, our sweet buffaloes. And so that was the practical thing. They, they, they had never seen that before. And, and they, they were in a bit of wonder because of the Afros. But then the second thing, and more importantly, is they said, not only do they, their, their Afros look like buffaloes, they fight like them. It's a little different than the white man. And hear me, hear me out today. This isn't me going, African-Americans, the best white people suck. We all go. That's not helpful. That's not me saying that. This is just how the story went. This was just their, their genuine observation. They said this. They said they fight with a tenacity that the white man's not fighting with. Here's why. They were fighting not to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The white man was fighting for politics, money, land, amenities, right? That, that's what was on the line for, for people like me. But for the African-American soldiers, there was rumors that if this war could be won by the union, we might go free. They're thinking about their family. They're thinking about their kids. They're thinking about their cousin that they just watched get whipped over and over and over and over and over and over again because they didn't get all their work done in the day. Backs that would be scrubbed. They're, they're thinking of images of, of slavery. What, what happened? So you give them a rifle and you tell them, we, we win this. There's a good chance we've heard from the, the higher ups that, that you guys, there might be an, a, an emancipation here. You guys might go free. Okay. I, as a father, if I, I would have been the same way if my freedom was on the line. If I had been enslaved, I would have, I would have white people would have rose up if it was reversed. It's the human spirit going, we weren't meant for slavery. Uh-uh, not on my watch. I'll do anything I can to get me and my family and my kids and their future kids and their future kids out of it. So they fought with a valiance. They were buffalo. They ran into something that a lot of people secretly probably wanted to run away from that were in those wars. They said, let's go. Worst thing you can do is take my life, but you're already trying with this slavery stuff. And this is, this is what the great oppressor, the enemy of your soul wants to do to all of us. But, but freedom's on the line, y'all. And I know it sounds melodramatic, but I'm pleading with you today. Your freedom's on the line. And, and some of you have accepted it. I know this. You want to know how I know this? It's not rocket science. I know this because I've done that in some areas of my life. You think this message is for you? I don't preach for you. I just preach to me and hope you're like me. I just come up here and go, what do you need to hear this week, Chad? Yeah, go preach to yourself in front of a bunch of people. I'm bound by fear right now. 
Can I be honest? I'm scared of some things in my life right now. Really scared. Can I give you some good news? It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to tell people you're scared. I put it out there. Don't look real tough, do I? Don't look like, don't sound like much of a buffalo right now, but being a buffalo has nothing to, you think buffaloes love running through these storms and getting destroyed in the middle of it? No, there's just something in it that says, I want to get through this. I want to get through this. I want to move forward. I want to be free again from this storm. I want to graze again in peace. God wants that for you. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. Still in quiet waters. He restores and he wants to refresh your soul. But he also says in the word of God, equally in this world, you're going to have trouble. So if you want greener pastures and you want to, 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 to breathe in and breathe out and taste his living water, sometimes the best thing you can do is confront what's most difficult in your life. And it is okay to be scared. You tell people you're scared. That is not an anti-faith statement. Anything that's true is not anti-faith. If you're scared, say you're scared, and then hopefully be in a community of people that say, we'll, we'll charge with you. We'll run with you. You can do this. You can do this. If it's fear of failure, I'm praying for breakthrough today. It's one of the biggest, we did at my old church, we did a, a thing where we, 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 we had them, we gave them out cards and said, tell us your biggest fears. We're going to preach on it until all the fears we've talked about are gone. We did that for like the first half of a year. You know what the number one fear was? Failure. <laughs> Failure. So I got to know that you're, you're no different than the church I was at. That's happening in this room right now. Some of you are, 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 are living a life not nearly what it was supposed to be. And you know it. I don't mean this to, to meddle with you or to make no shame here. I'm saying this because I know there's more in all of us. I know there's more in me than I'm currently living right now. And I have a righteous anger towards the enemy of our souls, the devil. Let's call him who he is. I have a righteous anger in the ways he's trying to hold us back, hold our families back, hold our futures back. If you have a fear of failure, we are gospel people. Failure is no longer an indictment. It is a mentor. If you failed, get up. Move forward. Learn from it. Treat it for the gift it is. I'm going to learn to start again smarter. I don't want to do that again. But I am not justified by any failure or success that I have on this side of eternity. I am justified by the cross and the shed, innocent, perfect blood of Jesus Christ. You are made perfect because of Jesus Christ. So one of the blessings and amenities you have from the kingdom of God is failure is now a mentor, not an indictment. It's now a teacher that is there to lovingly say, let's try this again smarter. Let's get back to meditating on the protocol and let's try it again smarter. We learned something. Some of you, it's fear of rejection. I don't know about you, but I feel this deeply. So many, so many things you're, you're afraid to, 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 to run into and to try or to do when you feel compelled to do them and gifted to do them because you're fear of, fear of rejection. You've been accepted by the one who matters most. You've been called beloved. You've been called son. You've been called daughter. Co-heir with Christ. Some of you, it's fear to forgive. 
It's one of the most powerful freeing things on planet earth we have been given. We'll talk about it in the upcoming series. Don't miss. Power of forgiveness. You want to talk about letting a heart off the hook. You want to talk about freedom in ways you never thought. But it's one of the most scariest things we'll ever do is forgive someone that's hurt us, right? Because their actions have sent you no signs that it's safe to forgive. And yet Jesus says, God, trust me on this one. Forgive. There is so much freedom. Buffaloes forgive. Buffaloes forgive. They confront. Sheep avoid. Sheep let those things faster. They waste time, put off good time by not confronting things. I could go down a list of so many different fears that we all have in this room and we all know them. You you know what yours is. So I'm just asking as we end today, would you just give your fear a name before you walk out of here? Just take a minute. Name your biggest fear right now. It's okay to say, I'm scared, God. I'm scared. It doesn't make you anti-faith. It makes you full of faith because you're being honest with the one who can do something about it. It's a beautiful thing. God, I'm scared. He's like, yeah, I already knew that. I'm glad you told me though because now I can speak life over you. Now I can encourage you. If you're in here in, in any way in life right now, you need a breakthrough from something. And this, this thing has caused you some, some fear, some sleepless nights, some worry and anxiety that you don't really appreciate and want around. Would you just raise your hand right now? Come on, let's be honest in church. If it's you, it's almost everyone in the room, right? If your hand's not up, praise God. We celebrate this season with you, but please take notes this weekend because it's rhythmic. In this world, you will have troubles. Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. So Jesus, I just ask you out of your kindness as one of your kids, for every person with their hands raised, God, you know intricately their story. You know it as well as them and you can do something about it. So today I just pray a simple prayer to the God who can do something about it. Would you breathe on us? your kindness, your presence, the power of your Holy Spirit that is in the business of doing miracles. God, would you be so kind to everybody who had their hand up right now? God, where they are scared, infuse them with faith. God, where they don't see a way out, show them you are the way out. Show them that you have a plan for them. God, for people who are hurting in here, people in here who are mourning deeply and profoundly right now, I pray the spirit of Jesus to comfort them. Sweet spirit of Jesus, bring comfort to those who need it. For those who feel poor in spirit right now, life to them in the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. God, I thank you for this awesome group of people. And I pray as they walk out of these doors, they can already by faith sense that they're on the precipice of a breakthrough because I believe it and I speak it in the name of Jesus. And everybody in here said, amen. Bob Marley and Jesus in the same day. Church was good, right? Hey, this is super important. I know y'all gotta go because I talk long, but we are starting a series and it's not just a series like any kind of series. It's a series about the Lord's Prayer. And all of September, this church is dedicating itself to being a church that's praying for each other. You guys are going to hear tons about it next week, but I'm telling you, get yourself ready. September, 
God is going to do something special. When his people start praying together, things start to turn around and we are going to have intentional, not just teachings, that just sets the stage, but then we're going to act on it with intentional moments of prayer. So this is a month, mark it down, September, you do not want to miss one single week because God, I'm telling you, is going to do some miracles amongst us. I love you all. If you need any prayer, there's going to be a bunch of people down here that would love to pray with you. God bless you guys. You've been listening to teaching pastor Chad Brugman's message titled, Buffalo Soldiers. Thanks for listening.